It could be the most important issue of our time. It affects us all, every single person on the planet, regardless of geography, education, or economic status, even if socioeconomic privilege might shield some of us more from this than others. And solving it, well, that's also going to need an all-hands-on-deck approach. I'm talking about the effort to preserve and protect our natural environment and create a new, more sustainable future for ourselves, our children, and their children. Speaking of sustainability, have you ever thought about the environmental impact of the very clothes on your back? The global textiles industry is a major source of both CO2 emissions and waste. Americans throw away up to 11.3 million tons of textile waste. That's more than 2,100 pieces of clothing. Get this, every second. The industry also relies heavily on petrochemical products to make synthetic fabrics, just like the polyester we see in so many of our clothes. And the number of garments produced has doubled every year since the year 2000. Thankfully, we've seen countless new and exciting technologies emerge since then, all promising to change our world for the better. But unlike, say, carbon capture, which sucks CO2 from the atmosphere, the inventors behind all those innovations didn't simply pull their ideas out of thin air. Many of them succeeded by standing on the shoulders of those who came before them. That is, building on, improving, and refining old ideas into something new. And that's where intellectual property comes into play. This is Stroke of Genius, proudly presented by the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. I'm your host, entrepreneur and business growth specialist, Raha Francis. On this episode, we're going to explore how IP can drive development in the sustainable technology sector and introduce you to a company that's mission is to manufacture what it calls shockingly sustainable materials, entirely from plants. This episode is sponsored by Schwegman, Lundberg and Wassner, with offices in Minneapolis, Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas. Okay, look, I know you have questions. If we're in a race to save the planet, what does IP have to do with it? Why surround earth-saving technologies with IP protection? I mean, why not scatter them on the wind, like dandelion seeds, for everyone to benefit from? The thing is, it's kind of complicated. There's a big difference between knowing how to save the world and actually doing it. Innovation needs to be backed by investors in order to be applied at scale. And investors require certain safeguards. That's why innovative green brands need to protect their products with things like patents and trademarks. There are many companies investing in sustainable solutions, like Dow, whose plastic upcycling product, Revolub, enables mechanical recycling, restores discarded plastic, and helps divert the material from landfills. Or two companies that were featured in an IPO Education Foundation webinar in 2021, General Electric, a leader in wind energy, and Cody, a cosmetics company working to recycle 80% of the waste generated by its factories and distribution centers, by 2030. The webinar is really worth a watch, and you can find a link in the show notes. Another company that's gaining recognition for its sustainability efforts is Natural Fiber Welding, founded in Peoria, Illinois, in 2015. It's just been named the IPO Education Foundation's Inventor of the Year. It's a huge honor, first handed out way back in 1974. Notable past recipients include the inventors who developed mRNA technology used in COVID-19 vaccines and CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology. No big deal, right? 
Natural Fiber Welding will be given this year's award in December for creating a circular process for making sustainable textiles. But what does that mean exactly? And how does IP factor into it? Well, let's find out straight from the source. It's my pleasure now to introduce the CEO of Natural Fiber Welding, Luke Haverhalls. Luke, welcome to Stroke of Genius. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. First of all, congratulations to you and your team on the Inventor of the Year Award. Before we get onto the subject of IP and IP protection, I'd love to learn just a little bit more about your company. So could you tell me a bit about your technology and what sets it apart? Sure. Natural fiber welding, what we do is we're making all natural circular materials. It allows people then to make clothes and shoes and furniture out of just natural inputs. So that's really nice because then you can recycle these materials in new ways and get them back to nature safely all at the same time. I'd love for you to maybe explain real quickly what you mean by circular. I see the words reuse, reduce, recycle as a circular sign on my recycling box, but it seems like you're doing something really deep here. Yeah, people often will have different definitions for what they mean by circular. So on this, I'm going to answer how NFW takes it. We take it to be that we need to fit within the circle of life. So that is that the materials that are used to make your clothes, your furniture, should not only come from nature, they can return safely to nature. And in the meantime, they can be industrially reused in very efficient ways so that we get more uses out of material, more efficiency out of the materials that we use from nature at the same time. You know, in these industries, you've got Tons of companies. I mean, I've been in retail, like strategy. You hear companies talking about wanting to make things in a way that's better for the environment. There are plenty of companies that claim to be plant-based, for example, but aren't entirely. I'm sure you've struggled with that a lot. So how can consumers, in your opinion, be really confident that what they're buying is actually sustainable? First of all, they shouldn't be confident. They should be very skeptical. How you get your modern clothing and shoes and things like that is quite complex. And so it takes a lot of time to be educated in that. And so there's there's people trying to sort of make shortcuts by oversimplifying what's going on. A lot of times people have good intent. They're trying to like tell a positive, hey, we're doing something incrementally better. But incrementally better doesn't mean that it's solving the core problem that is facing humanity. And so there's a lot of people like when they talk about materials, there are people in the world that say that they make carbon negative materials. And I'll say... The systems of accounting that they're using are highly suspect to the point where they're not actually always telling the truth. It's a complicated sort of thing. And what the world really needs is better standards. So let me give an example. Maybe in the finance world, we have things that we do called audits. And it's really important that when a company reports its finance numbers, that those numbers are audited so that investors don't get tricked into investing in things where the numbers don't actually add up the way they're supposed to. So there's standards. Right now, there's a lack of standards around things like carbon accounting, pollution, and what it means in the world. And so it's a complex topic that requires a lot of attention by both regulatory sources, but also, quite frankly, companies themselves just have to be more, they have to be more truthful and more open and and honest and transparent about all the parts of the story. So it's not a great thing if a company is talking, hey, we we grow this new material and, and they tell you the story about this new material that they're growing. You know, it's made from mushrooms. But then if you find out, well, actually, they're mixing all of that with a bunch of petrochemicals. Well, they're not telling you the whole story. <laughs> so I'd say 
consumers need to be skeptical and they need to dig in a little bit. And then there's also a real need for companies to tell the truth and for standards of what the truth is going to be to be sort of impressed on people who operate. Right. Now, I'd, I'd like to back up, Luke, and get into your personal story. So I know you grew up on a farm in Iowa, and I'd love to know, how did your early life influence your views on protecting the environment? I mean, did you hear voices in the cornfield telling you to pursue a career in science? You know, what was it? So there's two things, really. One is that people who grow up on a family farm, they live on the land, they drink the water. You're very aware that where you're living and what you're doing in the environment can affect you. And then the other thing is that when you look across a green field in Iowa and you understand technically what photosynthesis is capable of in terms of how much productive capacity the earth and good healthy soil and the sun can combine to create, then it kind of changes your view on where we should be getting things that you wear, where you get those things from, because there's there's a lot of potential, you know, as I was became a chemist and then looking back on that experience I had growing up of understanding, wow, there's so much potential to use photosynthesis to solve some of these problems where we have a lack of the abundance that we need on the plant. There's people fighting over resources and yet photosynthesis can be so abundant. So those are a couple of things that came from having that sensitivity of where I grew up. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to talk about IP protection in, in particular now. So natural fiber welding has a pile of patents, trademarks, and copyrights on everything from your tech to your logos to your slogans. I'd love to know, when did you first come to understand the importance, not just of what you were creating as you're so, so capable of articulating, but the importance of protecting what you create? I was very privileged to get my PhD at the University of Iowa with my mentor, uh, Dr. Jana Letty. She knows a lot about intellectual property from her experiences. And so I got a really good sort of school of hard knocks of um, IP training right along with my PhD chemistry training. So that, that was one piece. And then the other thing was when I started natural fiber welding, then I was very fortunate to work with a gentleman named Chad Stamper, who then introduced me to Hamilton IP law. You could say the first five years of the company, we were really just in stealth mode, building the intellectual property position. We were very, very careful with how we develop materials, how we did customer discovery, making, you know, had a lot of really great mentorship on how to get customer feedback, but do it in ways where you weren't giving up your ability to own what you were learning and, and inventing and doing. And so really, really sound IP practice was built into the company at the very start and then has always been a very strong, you know, thing that we've been taking care of since, since the inception. Got it. So the right people, the right approach and the right perspective from the get-go. That's right. It certainly wasn't, wasn't all me. Maybe one other thing I could add is there's an early, early employee to our company. His name is Aaron Amstutz and he's our CTO. And he used to be in charge of huge portions of the intellectual property portfolio of Caterpillar. Aaron and I are, you could say, the main collaborators on a whole bunch of different pieces of our, a very broad intellectual property portfolio and set of positions. And so he knows and has had a long, long history of being educated with IP in the past, too. So it's, we're, we're quite deeply steeped in complex processes and how you protect your IP while you're doing those things. 
And speaking of complex processes, I won't go into this in too much detail, but why a multifaceted approach to IP protection? Yeah, the, the analogy would be something like, why do people have not just one moat, but two moats and then a castle wall? And then, you know, different layers of castle walls, right? Like different layers of protection are useful to be different kinds of defenses. So there's lots of different ways in which people might try to take away your business model from you. So in order to protect against that, you do things like you look at what technologies should you patent. And of course, when you patent something, you have to publicly disclose it. And then you think about what are the 10 other things that we might keep as trade secrets, You start thinking about how you build ingredient brands so that you create preference for your your stuff, kind of independent of the technology. You start thinking about how you do contracting both upstream and downstream within the supply chain so that you lock in key players to that are then and key partners that are going to help you do what you do better and let you really focus on the value that you bring and let them focus on the value that they bring and then build a network that's much stronger than you could ever build by yourself. So all of those different aspects kind of sum up to a very strong overall position that's hard for other people to replicate and take away from you. It's one thing to try and save the world, but companies also have to exist in the world. Coming up after a quick break, we'll get into why protecting IP is still critical, even when we're talking about serving the greater good. I'm Raha Francis, and you're listening to Stroke of Genius, the podcast that explores intellectual property from the perspective of successful inventors, innovators, and creators. This season, we're tackling some common myths and misconceptions to help you better understand how to navigate the tricky world of IP protection and make the system work for everyone, especially people from historically underrepresented communities. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the work of the IPO Education Foundation, just visit ipoef.org. Welcome back. Today, I'm talking about how IP protection can be a force for good in the race to protect and preserve our natural environment. With Luke Haverhals, the CEO of Natural Fiber Welding, the IPO Education Foundation's newly named Inventor of the Year. As I mentioned earlier in the show, Luke, there's a common misconception out there about why people would want to protect any IP related to sustainability when a cleaner, greener planet is in everyone's best interest. If your IP can, quote unquote, save the world, why not share it? We will. Hmm. It depends on how you want to define the word share, I suppose. We don't do every part of making a shoe. We, you know, remember the old BASF commercials, we don't make the thing you buy, we make the thing you buy better. Right. NFW's approach is quite similar in the sense that we don't do everything. We have our valuable part. And in order for our valuable part to be able to flourish, you have to do a couple of things. Number one is innovations like this require capital. Like there's a lot of investors who put significant capital into this idea before it had as many proofs as it does today. And if we don't have a system in the world to get people a payback on on taking that kind of risk, then no one is going to innovate. The universe operates against gradients. That's a fundamental truth of this universe. And IP law establishes gradients that provide incentives for investors and inventors to work together to make better things. And so in terms of sharing, like there's plenty of people who can still call up Natural Fiber Welding and talk to us about taking out investments with what we're doing and share in the return on investment that's going to happen as this technology explodes into the world. Then there's another way of aspect of sharing, which is to say we're building 
our technology so that they work in complex supply chains that already exist. That means there are partners upstream from us in the regenerative agriculture sort of regimes. There are people downstream from us like Vishen, which is a manufacturer of bags and things that knows how to manufacture bags with Miram or leather-like material. And also like companies like Smart Shirts that are huge manufacturing companies that make things like polo shirts and t-shirts. We're partnering with those people. They get to do what they get to do better and more sustainably. And we get to sell them sustainable materials and into the supply chain all at the same time. So it's a network effect of how we make sure that the value continues to gain further investments so that people actually put their time and energy against those ideas. Because if if you don't give an engineer his paycheck or her paycheck, then how can she feed her family? (laughs) So that means you need to have the incentives in place to be able to build something and be working on something even before it's fully built. Right. So if I'm hearing that correctly, the idea of patent protection and the like is what allows more companies like yours to actually exist, to be invested in, to grow and thrive. Natural Fiber Welding now works with a truly impressive list of brand partners, iconic names like BMW, H&M, Ralph Lauren, just to name a few. And I just, I'm, I'm curious about a few things. One, were the clients already bought into sustainability when they came to you? What did that look like? How collaborative are your processes? And then the more IP specific, how you're able to balance protecting your technology and processes with the need to involve those partners? So... We've been very fortunate to now live in an environment where there's a very general awareness that humans, what we do, how we manufacture has an impact and we should be looking for better, more efficient, natural ways to get things. So that means that there are material and product managers within BMW, Ralph Lauren, Alberts, Pangaea, et cetera, that are looking for technologies like NFW can deliver. And the reason why we have now literally hundreds of brands in our pipeline successfully making their prototypes and launching products now is because our technology works and it works actually really, really well. So the brands all want it. They know that it's healthy to work with natural fiber welding because, you know, like in the case of BMW, their job is to make amazing cars, not to necessarily invent the only zero plastic plant leather alternative. And so NFW can have its value. And then we don't pretend that we're a car manufacturer and they don't pretend that they're a Miram manufacturer. And it's a really great symbiotic relationship where they tell us what they would like the interior of a car to be like someday. And we try to deliver materials that that hit all the specs that they're asking for. For better or for worse, no one has managed to invent and patent time travel yet. But if you could go back in time, Would you do anything differently with respect to your IP journey? Are there any lessons you'd pass on to your old self? The one thing that history has really impressed on me is the need to have great mentors. And I'll say there's probably any number of times where I could have done a better job being more intentional about taking on mentors that have different kinds of skills. One one thing that's hard is to know kind of the ordering of when you're going to need different kinds of skill sets and how it's important to bring people in that have been there and done that before. That being said, I don't have a lot of regrets because I I was fortunate to meet this gentleman named Steve Zika, their family office, uh, Atolo, and his father, Ken. They were very, very early investors in NFW. And what I didn't know at the time was I wasn't just taking an investment from Atolo. I was going to be able to convince Steve Zika 
to work 100% of his time inside the company in a, within a couple of months of the investment. And, and Ken was going to join our board and help mentor from the board level. And I was going to have wonderful partners to go build a world-class company with. So yeah, the best advice I can give is be very thoughtful and intentional about the people that you put around you while you're trying to build the valuable thing that you you think so highly of it. You're going to pour hours and hours of your life into it. So Luke, something that's abundantly clear from the way you've been explaining everything from your origin story to to IP is that the who is so central to what you do. You know, I think that's almost relieving for for younger folks, younger potential inventors, because it really is a, a community effort if you have a shared vision. I'll say it takes a, just like raising kids takes a, a village or something like that, raising an entrepreneur. Um, there's, there's some sort of analogous statement. And if you have a, a good idea and if you're going after a problem that's worth solving, then you probably can convince others to join you on the journey. And you'll need others on the journey with you because you don't have to do it yourself. You can lean on other people to to help you. And that's a really important thing to recognize at the start. Yeah. I was, you know, I was just going to ask you what that final piece of advice is that you might share with other inventors and entrepreneurs when it comes to navigating the world of IP and IP protection. It seems like you've really spoken to probably the core of it, but it, would that be it? Do you have any other pearls of wisdom that you'd like to share? It's a human exercise. Everything that people do that's entrepreneurial is intrinsically sort of a community. It's a community-related set of activities as well. And so when we say entrepreneur, we tend to think about ourselves as entrepreneurs. But the truth is we find ourselves needing to succeed in the context of a community. So be very careful about who you allow into your community. And then when you find wonderful people, work with them as collaboratively as you possibly can. Yeah, super Super helpful and and inspirational and almost a little relieving. (laughs) Luke, thanks so much for your time and your insights. And and I just wanted to say congratulations again on the Inventor of the Year Award. Raha, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time as well and for letting me share. If there's one thing I've learned from my conversation with Luke, it's that you aren't going to save the world by giving your ideas away and simply hoping to change hearts and minds. You have to go where brands are, where personal choice meets style and function. And that's certainly what natural fiber welding has done by partnering with many of the world's top companies and keeping collaboration at the heart of everything they do. As we heard, there are plenty of reasons to protect IP that could lead to a cleaner, greener world. Even though the goal may be altruistic, inventors need to take a pragmatic approach. They need to bring their sustainable technologies to the market. And the way to do that is to attract investors with a product they know is both environmentally friendly and well-protected under the intellectual property system. I'm Raha Francis, and this is Stroke of Genius, brought to you by the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our Inventor of the Year Award, or to see a list of past recipients, visit ipoef.org. Bye for now.